Joshua chapter 24. I'd like to begin reading at verse 19. Joshua 24, beginning at verse 19 and reading through verse 28. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot, ye cannot serve the Lord. For he is an holy God. He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. That's not good news. Joshua said, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God, jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord, if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. Now, some of us probably don't even know that that is in the Bible, but it's just as much in the Bible as John 3.16. God says, you can't serve me because I am holy. I am jealous, and I will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn. Joshua says, he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. <clears throat> now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, and took a great stone and set it up there, under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, This stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now, grateful for the word of God. We thank you, Father, that we have the Bible to read and to familiarize ourselves with that we might live the way that you would have us to live, Father. I ask you to speak to me, Lord, and speak to my brothers and my sisters. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and I thank you for it. And everybody said, no, they didn't either. <clears throat> In the passage of scripture that I've read in your hearing, we have Joshua 
relating his last public act before the people scattered to get to their inheritance. I don't know how he held them back, but he did. We have his last public act before the prophet, before the people, pardon me, scattered to claim their inheritance. It certainly seems fitting, at least to me, that as they were moving from being a nomadic people, a people that just traveled around all the time, and now they were going to be a people that were settled in the land. This seems like the perfect moment for what we have been reading together in Joshua chapter 24. They've been nomadic for a long, long time. I'm not sure the exact number of years, so I won't make a wild guess. But they're becoming a people that are settled in the land that God had promised Abraham and to his seed. So it seems very fitting that this occasion should be marked by the solemn renewal of the covenant between Jehovah and Israel. I hope every now and then you stop and just say, God, I want to say to you, I want to live for you. I want your desires to be planted in me that, that I would have the same desires that you have. I want to live for you. I want to glorify you. We ought to do that, not necessarily every day, but we should do it frequently. This covenant, this covenant is declared to be the willingly accepted law for their future national life. I didn't know this till recently, so it, it uh, may make me look dumb, but I did not know that the Constitution of Israel is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We might ought to change ours. We might ought to change ours. This covenant is declared to be the willingly accepted law for the future national life of Israel. The account takes us to a place called Shechem. Joshua 24 takes us to a place called Shechem. It is a valley in the heart of the land. It is a place that has been prominent many times in the people of God's lives. It stands out. It was the place where the nation gathered to hear Joshua reading all that Moses had commanded. Some places were especially significant in the life of Israel, and Shechem is one of them. It was here that Joseph's coffin that had been traipsing around with the people for hundreds of years. It is in Shechem where Joseph's coffin was laid in the ground that Jacob had bought five centuries before. After it had been carried reverently through the desert and through Israel's wars. This location was deliberately selected. Shechem was deliberately chosen and selected for another reason. Since it was on the very soil where Abram had made his first resting place as a stranger in the land. And where he had received the first pledge from the Lord God that went like this. Unto thy seed will I, that is God, unto thy seed will I give this land. But that's not all. There's more. It was where Abram had stacked the stones that comprised his first altar to the Lord who appeared to him. You can see that there are many things that cause Shechem to be an unusually prominent place in the life of Israel. Vows, vows that had been made there, had added sanctity to the place. It was considered something of a holy place. 
And there are still other reasons for the choice of this plot of ground, and it's having been um, the place where Israel renewed her covenant with the Lord God. They said, we will not attempt to name them all. There are many others. Suffice it to say that this land was sacred by these past manifestations of God. I can think of some places in my life that were especially important and significant and prominent where God met with me by his spirit. I don't mean that we sat down together and uh, looked in each other's eyes, but there were places and times where God met with me, and that's the significance of Shechem. It is a place where God was very near to his people. Suffice it to say that it was a land that was very sacred. The people responded with eager readiness. The people of God responded to what Joshua was saying to them with eager readiness. Those words are very significant and very important. Then they did it through their representatives which seemed to Joshua to be the too eager and too easy to do. Now think about that for a minute. Joshua is trying to help them to get into a closer fellowship and relationship with the Father. But when they were so rip-roaring ready, and they were talking to Joshua about it, something didn't exactly sound right. Something didn't seem exactly as it should be. It was too easy, too superficial. His ear must have picked up a lack of seriousness. They were ready but Joshua must have felt that there was a lack of seriousness, even insincerity, in the lightly made vows that they were making. Now, I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening because it's very important. <clears throat> Something did not feel right to Joshua. So he meets their um, eager readiness. He meets it like cold water he poured on them. You've seen at the ball games when the coach is winning the game, right at the end, they come and pour cold water or cold Gatorade all over him. And so that's something very similar that Joshua did in verses 19 and 20. Since he wants to turn resolutions, their resolutions into something more tangible and something more permanent, more tangent, more, what did I say, tangible, and something more permanent. It mattered to Joshua. It mattered to God. The best way to confirm good resolutions that have been made too quickly is to state plainly, all of the difficulty of keeping them. All, almost all of us make some, if not only, if only one. We make resolutions a little later in the year. And they were making resolutions, but they were making them too quickly. And he wanted to have them see the difficulty that went, went along with these important things that he was saying to them. There's no better way to turn a careless I will or we will into a firm no, but we will than to stick in there a you cannot. They flippantly made these promises, these resolutions, flippantly. Joshua says, that dog won't hunt. That dog will not hunt. 
And you know what? That may seem strange to you, but I would want to tell you this morning that Joshua here is doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now, we've come on scriptures, you have and I have, in the Bible that just don't seem to fit. They don't seem like they are really real. Joshua is holding the people back because he is concerned about their lack of sincerity. He refused insincere vows. He refused insincere vows because he wanted whole hearts. He wanted whole hearts. His longing for men to follow the Lord and to keep following the Lord made him send them back to rethink what they had just promised to do. Jesus did that very thing. Jesus did that very thing. One man said to him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus didn't say, oh, I was just hoping that you'd say that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. He said, I will go anywhere you go, no matter what the price. How did the Lord reply? It was met not by enthusiasm from Jesus. Rather, he coldly repulsed the man by saying, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. I've heard people brag about what they would do for the Lord. I've heard that. You've heard that. This man said, Lord, I don't care where you're going. I'm going with you. And Jesus said, are you aware that the Son of Man, the Son of God, does not have a place to lay his head? And that's what you're offering to share. That's what this man unknowingly, was offering to share in. And so he was saying to him, do you stand by your decision you say that you have made? It's easy to make boast about what we're going to do. All the disciples, we give Simon Peter down the road about it, but all of the disciples, all of them said, we're going with you. We are fully committed. We are going all the way. When a great multitude came to Jesus, hundreds, probably thousands of people, when they came to Jesus, he turned on them. The Bible says it. He wheeled around and looked them in the eye. And his words were not inviting. They're out of character as we think of it for Jesus. Now all of us, Manuel, all of us, if we get a big following, that's what we want. But what Jesus wanted was men and women who were ready to follow him with their whole heart their whole heart. Follow him entirely. He was not looking just to have a bunch of numbers. He wheeled around and he talked to them about the conditions of discipleship. And the main condition of discipleship, hear me, brothers and sisters, is for you and me to say to the Lord, I renounce 
I renounce myself. I'm going to say no to myself. I've been looking at something I want to do, and this morning I was riding down the road, and I said, Lord, I'm asking you now, if this is not you, then block it. Just block it, Lord. Now, that doesn't make me some great person. I'm not trying to say that. But I am saying, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to ask us this morning, are we denying ourselves? Are we saying no to self? Jesus will not permit soldiers to enlist in his army under false pretenses. Under false pretenses. Those who come after him will know all the difficulties and all the trials which will come their way because that's how the kingdom of God is. We may not fully understand it. We may not even care for it, but that's the way it is. I remember hearing Derek Prince tell the story of how that he had been right at the top of his class all his life and he had become a professor at King's College, Cambridge, in England. And he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in God. And he joined the Royal Air Force, and when he packed everything, he put a Bible in there. He was going to disprove the Bible. He's in the top 2% of intelligence in the world. And he was going to use that top 2% of intelligence in the world to disprove the Bible's. Unfortunately for the devil, fortunately for Derek Prince, when he began to read the Bible, the Bible began to speak to him. God began to speak to him through the Word. And in a short time, he was born again by the Spirit of God. Radically changed. Radically changed. Radically changed. He was praying about what he should do in his future. And he said the Lord gave him a little vision. A little vision. And in this vision, he was standing at the dock of some body of water. And there was a huge boat or ship or yacht there. And he said, the Lord said to him, now that, that yacht, that boat, is getting ready to sail. And it has to do with my will. And if you want to get on that boat, you have to get on it now. And if you don't, it's all right. I'll still love you. I may even use you. But if you want my plan for your life, you have to get on the boat now. It's up to you. Some of us need to get on the boat. I said some of us need to get on the boat. It wasn't that God was trying to be difficult. But he was teaching him a lesson. He went to where he lived, sat down and wrote a letter to King's College. They had told him, we will keep your spot for you. All you have to do is let us know when you're coming back. And he wrote to them and said, I'm not coming back. I'm not going to be a professor at your university. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And God used him. He cast out more devils than probably any man that ever lived. What if he had not gotten on the boat? Jefferson, Brother Jefferson. What if he hadn't gotten on the boat? He, he had such a life with God that after a number of years, he didn't have to cast out devils anymore. He had people with him. God used other people that were raised up under his ministry. Listen, God is not going to work on your schedule. God is not going to keep your schedule or my schedule. He said, I love you, Derek. You don't have, 
You don't have to get on there. I'll love you. But if you get on there, you'll be in my will for your life. And I'll use you. Maybe some of us are wondering why we're not really used. And it may be that we've been vacillating, vacillating back and forth. I think I want to serve the Lord. I think I really want to do His will, but I'm not real sure. I've got other things I want to do. The Lord does not permit soldiers to enlist in His army under false pretenses. He puts it right out in front of them. They come to know all the difficulties and the trials which will come their way. Then, if they are still willing, knowing all of this, to take His yoke upon them, then He gives them the warm welcome, the exuberant welcome to His will and His plan. I hope you're still with me. There is a real danger. There is a real danger that this, that I'm talking about, this part of the evangelist work should be overlooked in the sincereness with which the other part of the evangelist work is done. Now that's not real clear but I don't have time to read it several times. There's a real danger that this part of the evangelist work should be overlooked in the sincereness with which the other part of the evangelist work is done. We cannot be emphatic enough in reiterating the Lord's call to all who are weary and heavy laden. He calls all who are weary and heavy laden to come to Him. But we often are defective in our repeating the Lord's demand for complete surrender. God won't take us if half the time we're going to do His will and then some of the other time we're going to do His do, do our own will. God won't take us. I don't think we, I hope we don't have anybody here like this, but there are people who just think that God is so lucky to get them. No. We are the ones who are fortunate. It is not God who is fortunate to have us. He does love us. He does care about us. He does want to use us. He has plans for us. Plans that we couldn't imagine. He has all of that. But they only come through complete surrender. Only through complete surrender. True seekers True seekers will not be beaten off by emphasizing the difficulties of the Christian life. If we really have in mind serving God and He gives us an understanding of what it will cost us, if we are true seekers after God, we will keep seeking after Him. We'll keep seeking. Now, don't get offended with this. Maybe, maybe if there were more plain speaking, maybe if there were more plain speaking about these demands of the Lord for entire surrender, maybe if there was more plain speaking about those things in the beginning, there would be fewer backsliders. I said there would be fewer backsliders and fewer lifelong professors who have a name to be alive but are as dead as a hammer. I hate to say it, but I run across Christians from time to time. There is no life of God whatsoever about them. They still don't uh, chew tobacco and 
It's nothing, all those things. But there's no life of God in them. Jesus looked at some people one day and he said, you have no life in you. That is not supposed to be. The life of God is supposed to be in us, but it only comes if we are completely surrendered to Him. And if things that I'm talking about this morning were stressed more in churches, we would have fewer people that turn away from Jesus and go the other way. Fewer backsliders and less dead professors of religion and faith. Listen to this. The Lord ran the risk. He ran the risk of the rich rulers going away sorrowful. He ran the risk of the rich ruler going away sorrowfully. And you and I, should do the same thing. I hope we speak to somebody about our Lord. I hope we tell people that there is a heaven to win and there is a hell to shun. The best friend, the best way to be a friend to someone who is not saved is not to worry about whether or not you may step on their toes, but to let them know this is real. This is real. God is real. The Bible is real. The Spirit of God is real. Jesus is real. Heaven is real. And hell is real. And the Bible says that hell is enlarging itself. Why? Because there's a bunch of people headed there. A bunch of people headed there. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, Jordan, but Jesus did not follow the rich young ruler and say, look, 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 look don't, don't act so quickly thinking about how much money that guy had. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, I got a plan B for you. Jesus watched that man walk away. I think not only was the man sorrowful, but I think Jesus was sorrowful. But Jesus only has one plan of salvation. There's not ten. Some of these TV preachers, you cannot get them to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I won't name them. But you mark my words, they're preachers, that will not, for fear of offending someone. God help us. God help us. Jesus ran the risk of not getting that man to kneel. He did. He said, if any man will come after me, he must say no to himself. Can I ask you a question? Have you said no to yourself in your life? Have you said no to yourself? He said, we must, we must, Say no to self. If the person we're speaking to about the Lord and about their soul has a genuine, deep desire to become part of the family of God, they may go away sorrowfully for a little while, but if the desire is real, they will come back with the desire greater and deepened and turn to the Lord. That man was not ready. He was not ready for the kingdom. He was not ready for the kingdom. And Jesus watched him walk away. Of course, Jesus didn't have a television program to have to support. If the desire is shallow, Ethereal, that means spooky. Substantless. Wouldn't it be better that the consciousness of its hollowness 
should be shown to the man that he should outwardly become what he is really not at all. Let me say that again. If the desire was shallow, ethereal, substantless, would it not be better that the consciousness of its hollowness should be shown to the man that he should outwardly become what he is really not, which is a Christian. What may happen is that he may reflect and come and bow and fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. If the person we're speaking about to the Lord about their soul and they have a genuine deep desire to become part of the family of God they may go away quit sorrowfully but if the desire is real it will only grow and they will come back The last thing we need to do this morning is we should look at the warning, the warning that Joshua gave. The warning. The Bible has a lot of warnings in it. I hope that you see them. The extent of the obligations which were so flippantly being incurred and the serious penalties of their violation of God's laws, that's what we're looking at for the balance of our moments together this morning. The first, the vow to serve the Lord has been made with little or no cons consideration of what the vow meant. You probably know this already, but I'll go over it quickly. In heathen religions, the service of gods is a matter of outward acts. It's a matter of outward acts that are called worship. There's no connection between religion and morality in heathen religions. Some of this had seeped over into Israel's worship, into Israel's religion. Jehovah is the national God of Israel. He has fought their battles. He has conquered for them. Therefore, they will serve him. But these reasons are external things. They're external things. Someone may be thinking now, Pastor Ron, aren't you judging Israel too harshly? My reply is, I'm not judging them more harshly than Joshua did. He was their leader. He did not call Jehovah their God at this point. He spoke of Jehovah only as the Lord. And Joshua told them the impossibility of serving the Lord so long as they went on their way of looking at Him. Joshua said, listen to this, you cannot serve Jehovah. Jehovah is a holy God. You might want to write this down. A holy God, a holy God cannot have unholy worshipers. A holy God cannot have, will not have unholy worshipers. If a man or a woman or a people are to worship and serve God, the whole Man, the whole person, must bow before His majesty. The unholiness of man must be put away through a sacrifice that puts sin away. God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. Jealousy here means simply that God desires that our hearts be completely His. Alfredo, you got that, right? God is a jealous God. It simply means that God desires that our hearts be completely His. Not 90% His, not 12% His, but that our hearts be completely His. 
listen to this, he will have no rivals for his love. We sing a song that talks about no rivals. Our God, who is a jealous God, will have no rivals for your love or my love. To this day, there is a need of warning of Joshua. To this day, there is a need for the warning that Joshua gave. We are overjoyed that being a Christian requires so little of us. We rejoice that the simplest act of faith brings our soul and knits it to Jesus Christ, who forgives all our sin. But on the other hand, it is hard to be a Christian, since it means that we must forsake all that we have, and that we must love Him with all our heart, and our soul, and our mind, and our strength. Now, that's not something that Ron Denham wrote. I mean, I scratched it on this paper. But that's not something that I wrote. God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. You and I cannot serve the Lord unless our understanding of His service is founded upon our recognizing that He is holy and that we must give Him everything in our lives. Never forget, God is a holy God. The rest of Joshua's warnings to Israel speak of the penalties of broken vows. The sins of His people cannot, are you with me? The sins of God's people cannot go unpunished. Now that may not fit our, our exact uh, theology. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The sins of His people cannot and will not go unpunished. Israel's history, Israel's very existence depended on their allegiance to the Lord God. God said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, therefore, somebody said, when you come to the word therefore, see what it's there for. God said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. May I say this? It's still a sin to sin. It's still a sin to sin. Great part of the church has forgotten about that and doesn't believe that, but it doesn't matter what we believe. God said, I've chosen you. You are my people. I have chosen you and not chosen all the other families of the earth. And therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. These warnings accomplished exactly what Joshua had hoped that they would. That Israel's allegiance to the Lord God would be made more firm in this way. I know some of you would be glad I'm almost finished. Having put their sincerity, he calls them to testify that their resolve is voluntary. He had them say, I do this by my own will. It's not that Joshua's beat me over the head with something to make me do it. He said, it has to be a resolve that is voluntary. He then requires of them that they put away any and all false gods and that they surrender their self to the God of Israel. Joshua's words enforce the notion that if God be holy, and if they're going to serve Him, they must forsake all other gods and surrender all to Him. 
That was not only true in that day, my friends, it is true in our day, just as it was then. Israel accepted the requirement, and their tone was altogether different. They had learned what service to God meant and what it means today. It is not merely a bunch of ceremonies. Some people choose their church because they like the way they do stuff. They like the things that the, the, the speaker wears. What in the... Oh. Thank God I stopped when I did. Some of you haven't thought anything was funny all day. Well, we finally got you. Now, in chapter 24, now they're willing to obey His voice. After coming to understand all that the vow meant, they reiterated the vow to be the Lord's. Some of us need to reiterate our vow to God. Israel ended their homeless life and moved in to possess their inheritance through this fresh accepting of the covenant. Now, I believe that if they had said, well, you're not going to tell us what to do or how to do it, I believe God would have sent them back to the wilderness for a few more hundred years. They understood that the land belonged to them on the condition that they would serve God. That they would serve God. The land, its being theirs, depended on their being willing to do just what God told them to do. They wrote out their own sentence if they became unfaithful to God. This was the last act of the assembled people at the end of Joshua's leadership of Israel. Maybe someone here today, you've been trying to serve God on your terms. And you noticed that it wasn't working very well. Hear me, it will never work well. It will never work well. It is God's way. It is what God has to say. It is the covenant with God that we need to affix our name to and live our lives by. Jordan, would you play something for us? Could we bow just where we are for a moment? Could we just bow right where we are? Father, Father, the church of Jesus Christ is permeated by people that believe that they can live however they see fit because God is love and God understands. He'll understand and say, well done. You're not going to say well done to people that have not done well. Father, I've done my best to say what you would have said today. And I thank you, Father, that you've given me the courage to say it like it is. Father, it only makes sense that there would be some people today who have been trying to serve you on their terms. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that before we go out the door, men and women would say from the bottom of their heart, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you just tell us the truth straight out, Lord. You just tell us straight out what you expect. And then the choice is ours like it was the rich young ruler's. I pray that right now, in the silence of our own heart, we would say to you again what we said in our past. We'd say to you, Father, you tell me what to do, and I will do it as you give me grace. You tell me where to go, and I will go as you give me grace. You tell me what to say, and I will say what you give me to say, as you give me grace. I want to be effective for you. I want to be effective for you. I want to be effective, a light that is effective in my family. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray. Cleanse us, Father. Cleanse us from impurities in our lives, O oh God. Cleanse us, I pray, Father. Wash us. Sanctify us. In Jesus' wonderful name, we bless you, Lord. You're the Lord our God. And you're not lucky to get us. We sure are fortunate to have you, Father. And therefore, we purpose in our heart today and say with our mouth, I'm going to do what God has shown me to do. In Jesus' name, Father, I thank you for it.